I appreciated David's prayer just a, a few moments ago as he was praying for the church and praying for the people that make up the church. And I want you to hold on to prayers like that because they matter. They really do. As we get into this message today, you're going to see some of the reasons that they matter. And I hope that those will pop out and, and grab your attention as we make our way through this. Joseph Stahl is the president of Moody Bible Institute. Now, you could say his name's Stahl or Stoll. I'm not exactly sure which it is. I always go with Stahl. He is a, a wonderful preacher and a tremendous author and just a, a great man of God. A number of years ago, he had the opportunity to sit next to Billy Graham at a dinner. Now, the Billy Graham organization had put together this dinner, and they'd asked him to come and be one of the speakers, and he was privileged to do it. He had never met Billy before, so he was a little nervous about that. I understand exactly what he's talking about. For some people, actors and actresses make them nervous. Rock stars make them nervous. Being around sports figures make them nervous. None of those folks bother me, not one little bit. And you've heard some of those stories, but great preachers do. I mean, they can, they can just leave me speechless. Those are the heroes of my world. So when Joseph Stahl says that he was really nervous and not sure what they were going to talk about, I really understand what he was saying. But over the course of their meal together, he looked at Billy Graham and he said, Billy, can I ask you a question? And, and Billy said, absolutely. He said, over the, the years that you have been in the ministry, what has been the, the greatest joy of your life? Now, Joseph thought he was going to have to help him out a little bit. And he said, I would suppose that it's been things like the, the meetings that you have had with the presidents and the ways that they have involved you in, in their administrations or Maybe meeting with heads of state from around the globe. Those, those would probably be it. And he didn't even get to finish his thought. And Billy Graham looked at him and said, none of that. The greatest joy of my life has been Jesus. Hearing his voice, knowing that he was guiding me, sensing his presence all around me and his power through me, that has been my greatest joy. Isn't that a good answer? really is. That's the one you would expect from Billy Graham. That doesn't surprise any of us. It really should be the answer that every one of us would give, though. If you have a long history with Jesus, that should be the answer. So if somebody were to sit down and ask you what the greatest joy of your life has been, and, and you could say it's been your walk with the Lord, would you just say amen? amen? Amen. It's true for me. It really is, and I hope it is true for you as well. Back in the 50s and 60s, Billy Graham had a good friend named Chuck Templeton. Lee Strobel had the opportunity to meet him when he was writing the book, The Case for Christ. Now, if you've never read that book, let me give you just a little background for it. Strobel was a, a reporter out of Chicago when he was researching that book. He was also very skeptical about Christianity. He didn't believe in it. And he set out to disprove the existence of Jesus. He set out to disprove any reason for anybody to believe. And as a result of it, he became a strong believer. Works that way a lot. If you wrestle with skepticism, if you wrestle with doubts, Lee Strobel's book, The Case for Christ, is a really good one to read. In it, he talks about his time that, that he was able to sit down and talk with Chuck Templeton, this good friend of Billy Graham's. He found out that during the 50s and 60s, Templeton was one of the leading pastors in the nation of Canada. He was arguably leading the largest church in that nation during that time. It was in Toronto. He got together with Reverend Graham, and the two of them started Youth for Christ Canada. His influence spread across the entire nation. He was well thought of. He had great power, great influence, great prestige. All those things were there for him. The thing that really stands out about him, though, is this. In the 1970s, 
He walked away from his pulpit. And he walked away from the church. He left his faith completely. He became very vocal about it. Told people that he had left his faith. Told people that he no longer believed in Jesus Christ or not in Jesus Christ. He no longer had any faith in God. He left it publicly. With all of his influence, his power, everybody that listened to him, they heard that message. He was leaving it. So Strobel wanted to talk to him. And he did. Over the course of that interview, Templeton told him about all of his disappointments with God. Told him about how upset he was with God. At the end of the conversation, he said, I don't understand how a God that is supposed to be driven by love could allow so many bad things to happen to people. How can bad things run unchecked across the globe? Didn't make any sense to him. That's what he was holding on to. But Strobel in a a fit of inspiration, and that's really what this was, Holy Spirit inspiration, even though he didn't know it at the time, he asked Templeton, well, what do you think about Jesus Christ? There was a pause. Chuck didn't say much for a few moments. Then big tears began to run down his face. Strobel says that his shoulders began to heave as the sobbing started. And he said he was the greatest man that ever lived. And through those tears and through the sobs, Templeton would go on to say, and I miss him very much. Interesting point. Billy Graham, Chuck Templeton, walking the exact same path, being led by the same Spirit, following the same God, hit different situations and circumstances in their life, and it caused them to go different ways. For Templeton, down a terrible road, absolute terrible road road. It's not the first time that has happened. It probably will not be the last. When people have worked for a salvation, they've invested themselves in a relationship. They've poured themselves into it. And then something happens and it causes them to leave it. It's tragic. I want to show you how that can happen in the book of Second John. Why don't you go there with me? My Risa read for you from the books of Second and Third John. They're just little tiny books near the end of the New Testament. They're powerful. They have a lot to say to the church. The book of 1 John has a lot to say to Christians and to people that are are seeking a relationship with Christ. But the books of 2 and 3 John, they're written to the church. We'll come back to that in just a little bit. She read read to you in the book of 3 John, I'm sorry, the first eight verses. I want to pick up in verse 9. I wrote to the church... But Diotrephes, who loves to be first, will have nothing to do with us. So if I come, I will call attention to what he is doing, gossiping maliciously about us. Not satisfied with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers. He also stops those who want to do so and puts them out of the church. This is the only time in all of the Bible that this fellow makes an appearance. His name is Diotrephes. We don't know much about him. What we do know, though, is he was doing great harm to the church because he was driven by his own selfish motives. It was all about him. It wasn't about the church. It was about him. And he wanted everything to be his way. If people weren't willing to do it his way, Diotrephes was putting them out of the church. He was gossiping about them. He was maliciously attacking them. He was just a terrible individual. He really was. And John said, when I get there, if nobody else has dealt with him, when I get there, I will deal with him. I would assume that when Diotrephes became a Christian, it was for the right motives. But for some reason, he began to 
to get drunk on the power of the church. He began to get intoxicated with it, and it, it led him the wrong way. And he began to hurt the church. People do that all the time within the church. People do that within the church, and they do that in their own lives. They may have a, a very surface, basic relationship with the Lord, and then they start to think, this ought to produce something else for me. And now all of a sudden, that basic relationship with the Lord, which was about God, becomes about them. They become what I refer to as ledger keepers. Ledger keepers are the types of people that will believe that if they do certain things, then God has to do certain things for them. If they live a certain way, then God must bless them according to the way that they've been living. If they are successful in their struggle against sin, then God better be successful in the amount of blessings that He gives to them. And they must be measured from the left side to the right side. And it has to be just, and it has to be fair. Ledger keepers have a very difficult time in relationship with the Lord. In fact, most ledger keepers will drift away from the Lord. Because God's blessing is not tied to your actions. And how dare any of us believe that it is? We do not have the right to tell God, I will do certain things, but you must respond the way I want you to, or I will get disappointed and upset with you. But it happens all the time in the church. It happens all the time in life. Let me give you an illustration of it. It's very fresh within our family right now. Like I said, Tina's out of town. She and Katie had gone to see her mother on Wednesday of this last week, going to be gone from me for five days. I, oh, well, we've already been there. So she was gone. She called me yesterday. I was here in town, and, and she called on the cell phone and pulled into the church parking lot to talk with her. She was pretty upset, and here's why. Back in May, a lot of you know if you've been worshiping with us, her brother was killed in a very tragic accident. His 20-year-old son was driving behind him and saw everything that happened. It was a, a rough time in the, the family's life. That's the best way to put it, rough time in the family's life. Her mom had, had really been struggling with it a lot, and her dad had been struggling with it a lot, and that's all very understandable, and that's part of the reason that Tina said, I need to go back for a few days. But while she was there, they got a phone call from a friend of theirs that said a, another tragedy had happened. Rick's ex-wife, and it's a complicated story, they divorced four days before he died. And she tried to reverse the divorce and was successful to some extent and so on. But she had woken up their daughter yesterday morning, told Jade that she needed to get up and go to school. And Jade said, Mom, it's Saturday. I, I don't have school. And Jade went back to sleep. And Kim carried out a plan that obviously had been in motion for several days or weeks or possibly months. She went out into the yard and she took her own life. Her son, her 20-year-old son, that had watched his father die and had responded to everything was the first one to go out and find his mother. Heath is going to have visions that he has to try to get rid of for the rest of his life. Things that he is going to struggle against for the rest of his life. His mom was a ledger keeper. As long as I've known her for the 25 years I've been around her, she's been a ledger keeper. Believing that if she did this, then other people must do that, positively or negatively. As far as I know, there had been some moments where she had wondered about God, but she never found Him, never found a relationship through Jesus Christ that never existed for her because of that ledger. It's always there. When people hold on to that ledger, life becomes about them, and they forget about everything else. And they want it to be a certain way, and it, it isn't. It just isn't. 
That's who Diotrephes was. And he hurt the church because of his ledger. But let me show you somebody else. This guy is also found in the book of 3 John. We're going to jump down to verse 12. Demetrius is well spoken of by everyone, and even by the truth itself. We also speak well of him, and you know that our testimony is true. So you have Diotrephes, the ledger keeper, this person that has hurt the church and, and seen his own life hurt time and time again. And then you have Demetrius. The truth speaks well of him. His life speaks well of him. The apostles spoke well of him. Begs the question, what was the difference between these two guys? Why was Diotrephes the way he was and Demetrius the way he was? They both worshipped in the same church. What was the difference? I would offer to you that the difference is this. Pretty simple one. Demetrius understood what it meant to have a heart relationship with God. He was no longer looking at it like a ledger. He just wanted to walk closely with the Lord. He was no longer concerned about his actions and his rewards. He just wanted the intimacy. That's all it was. Jesus would actually say this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Jesus did not say, blessed are those who do everything exactly the way they're supposed to and never make mistakes. Jesus did not say, blessed are the sinless. He didn't say any of that. He said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. They will understand God. Demetrius did. Diotrephes missed it. Demetrius understood it. Now, I tell you all of that to say that that is true of the individuals, and it is also true of churches. There are churches that will live with a ledger, believing that if they do this, then God has to do that, and God's blessings will be long ways away from them. And then there are churches like Demetrius who understand it's all about the heart. It really is. It's all about the heart. Now, before we leave this, I want to show you a prayer that can help with that on an individual basis and remind you of this. John says in these two letters, you work hard, speaking to individuals, you work hard to make sure that no one steals from you what you have worked for. You make sure that no one sneaks in and takes from you this relationship with God that you have attained. You make sure that nobody tells you that grace is not grace. You make sure that nobody tells you that it isn't free. You make sure that nobody steals from you this wonderful heart relationship with God. David prayed a few minutes ago that our church and the individuals that make up our church will be protected from that very thing, whether it's from people or whether it is from our greatest enemy, God's greatest enemy, the devil. Because people and the devil will try to steal those things from us if we're not careful. So there's a warning that goes with it. And that warning ties us back to this belief that it all has to be about a heart relationship with the Lord. So let me show you how David found himself in a place where he could keep himself in relationship the way he should. This is in the book of Psalms, chapter 139, 139th Psalm. If you brought a Bible with you, I encourage you to turn there with me because this is one of those places that you really should highlight in your Bible. You really should make it stand out. It's a prayer that every person should offer on a regular basis. And I'll show you why. It's just two verses. It doesn't take very long to read it or to pray it. Starting in verse 23, David writes, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. 
Now listen to it again as a prayer. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. That's a great prayer. Highlight it. Pray it. When you get home later today, pray that prayer and make sure that you pay attention to the last line of it. Lead me in the everlasting way. Not just this moment, not just today, not just in the moments that surround me right now, but lead me in the everlasting way. And when we can pray that and know that God responds to us the way only God can respond to us, here's what happens. Your heart will be right. It'll be pure. And you will see God. Like Billy Graham, you'll be able to say, that's the greatest joy of your life. Greatest happiness that you have experienced has been that relationship. Blessed are the pure in heart, those who have it in their heart, for they will see God. Now, I want you to go back with me to the books of 2 and 3 John. And we're going to actually get into the point of this message. We've kind of just been leading up to it. The point of the message today is really the state of our congregation. How's Living Christian Church doing? And I want to share some of those things with you as we measure them against what we read in these two books. It has been argued by scholars for the longest time that 2 and 3 John are books written to the church. Now, obviously, in 3 John, you hear the name Gaius called out. You hear in the book of 2 John about the dear lady. The dear lady, by all of these scholars' estimation, is the church. Gaius may be that lady. And then John says, and to all of your children, those would be the people that have come into the church. Those would be the people that have become believers because of what they've been doing. The implication is that the church met in this lady's home. She was probably the one who started the congregation, and everybody else has just become a part of it. So John's writing to them wonderful words of encouragement and words of warning. We've dealt with some of the words of warning. Now let's look at some of the words of encouragement, beginning with this. In the book of 2 John, there's at least four different references right at the beginning, right as you get into it, to the truth. The truth, of course, is Jesus Christ. Now, if you've been around the church long at all, you know that I believe that the truth is Jesus Christ and the Bible is His Word. It is God's Word. If you're looking for answers in life, they are found in the Bible. You cannot find much of anything at all that isn't addressed in Scripture. It is truth. David Jeremiah would call the Bible truth for life, and it really is. So John starts out by talking about the truth. Love the fact that he does. The truth being Jesus Christ and the Word of God. So I ask myself this as I'm getting ready for this message. How are we doing with the truth? I really believe we're doing well. We have some fantastic teachers in this church that hold to the Word of God. They don't venture away from it. They hold to the Word of God. You hear them in all kinds of different settings, whether it's from the pulpit or whether it's in Sunday school or salt groups, whatever it is, the Bible is held up as the authority. In fact, within our brotherhood of churches, we have this slogan, and I believe we hold to it very well. Where the Bible speaks, we speak, and where the Bible is silent, we are silent. That's the way it should be. If we can give you answers from the Word of God, we will give you answers from the Word of God because this is truth. And it comes directly from Jesus. So John says, this is all about Jesus, and it's all about loving Him and knowing Him. And when he begins to talk about the ministry of the church, he combines it this way. Second John, verse 3. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son will be with us in truth and in love. 
There's a combination of both in this early church. The truth that is Jesus Christ and the Word of God and the expression of it which comes out in the form of love. So I can look at our church, at Libby Christian Church, and say, we're doing great in the area of truth. How are we doing in love? And an honest evaluation of it, I would tell you we're doing great. We really are. Let me tell you why. There are some ministries within this church that stay under the radar. You never hear about them. You never see them. You don't probably know who the people are that serve within them, and they want it that way. It's not about them. They're not trying to draw attention to themselves. They are just expressing a love of Jesus Christ to those other people that they love. It is a combination of truth and love. Ministries like our food pantry. It's led by Mark and Peg McGill. You see them up here from time to time. But they have a a huge team of people that work with them. Sundays through Thursdays, they're out gathering food. They're bagging up groceries. They're doing all kinds of different things. And then they open the doors on Thursday afternoons, oftentimes feeding upwards to 75 families in northwest Montana a month. 75 families are fed by the food pantry of Libby Christian Church. That's truth and love coming together, and and there's great people that are a part of it. We have the mission store that sits over on this side of the building, right against Pipe Creek Road. The mission store is open every Tuesday to help people get clothes that can't get clothes otherwise. They don't have anywhere else to go. They don't have any money to buy clothes. For 20, 25 years, a group of ladies have kept that mission store going week after week after week. And people within the church bring clothes and donate it so that people in the community can have them. They couldn't get them otherwise. By the way, let me tell you this. We didn't say much about it. Five, six weeks ago, the mission store was broken into. It was vandalized. The vandals that went in there, and they've not been caught, grabbed hold of fire extinguishers and sprayed them all over the inside of the building. Broke some windows. They went outside to the clothes that were outside, and they sprayed those down with the fire extinguishers as well. They ruined everything inside the building. People had to come and just haul off load after load after load of clothes to the dump. There was nothing else that could be done with them. They're just gone. Today, the mission store is empty, but it's empty on purpose. We're waiting for it to warm up just a little bit, and then there's a group of men that are going to go in there, rip the carpet out, repaint the place, redo the shelving, and the ladies are ready to restock it and get the thing open again. They're excited to get it open again because the mission store is an expression of love to the people around us. It is an expression of truth through love to the people that we live around. Can't wait to get it open again. There's the candle ministry. Candle ministry is a tremendous one. It really is. It started a, a few years ago when the economy in Libby really started to go down. People were losing their jobs right and left, and, and the leaders of our church said, what are we going to do about it? We have to help some folks. They're going to have huge financial difficulties. So the candle ministry was started to help bridge the time between jobs for people, to help folks get through some economically difficult times. There's a group of people that meet with everybody that fills out an application. They're there to figure out if we can help them and what we can possibly do to help with those processes. They spend hours and hours and hours every week doing that very thing. The candle ministry is an expression of truth and love. I have a message on my desk from a lady in this church that wants to open a very unique women's shelter to help ladies that are dealing with all kinds of things in their life. It's an expression of truth and love great expression of it 
Those kinds of things go on and on and on within this church. We're doing well with it. If you've been here very long, you know that last April we started another one of those expressions called the Chain of Lakes Christian Church out in Happy's Inn. Thrilled that we have gotten that ministry going. There's a couple people here right now that typically attend there on Saturday nights. That's a fun ministry. The church came together and said, we need to make it happen. And, and the church, you, you raised the money to plant a new church. I'm not going to tell you a lot about that because Scott Granger is going to talk about it tonight. It's exciting stuff. When you hear what he has to share, I'll tell you what, you'll think, wow, I got to be a part of something really cool. It's an expression of truth and love. And that list just goes on and on and on. We're doing well with that. Go with me to the book of 3 John, though, and I'll show you another thing we need to measure against. John writes in 3 John chapter 2, Dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you even as your soul is getting along well. That concept of the soul getting along well when it's applied to the church is something that we do have to look at, but it's a little more difficult than the issue of love. How are we doing with the soul of the church Now, you'll hear us say from time to time that numbers don't really matter in the church. But if we're going to evaluate the soul of the church, numbers do have to matter. We have to pay attention to it. So I want to give you a few numbers this morning that help us evaluate the soul of our congregation. Mary England keeps track of all kinds of church statistics for us. Weekly, she puts them into the computer. At the end of the year, she prints them off for me. The beginning of 2011... The average weekly attendance of Libby Christian Church was 521. At the end of December of 2011, the average attendance at Libby Christian Church was 587. Now that doesn't make sense. 521 to 587 doesn't make any sense. You know and so do I that we've been exporting our workforce out of Libby to North Dakota, to California, to Wyoming. It's been going all kinds of different places. People have been leaving this community, yet the church reflected a 13% growth last year. That doesn't make any sense. By the way, for those of you that are ready to just give God a round of applause, that'd be a good time to do it. Here's a really cool thing that goes with that. And again, I don't want to steal anybody's thunder. Deanie's going to talk about this a little bit tonight at the congregational meeting. Of that 13% growth, 10% of it comes from new converts, from people that have become Christians in the last year. Again, good time. (laughs) Continuing on with the soul of the church, there are some other things to keep in mind. Right now, we have more people involved in salt groups than we have ever had in the life of this church. There are more people going to adult Sunday school and children's Sunday school than we have ever had in the life of this church. If you want to have just a a really neat, cool, fun experience, come here on a Wednesday night starting at 3.30 in the afternoon and go on through about 8.30. Sharon Brossman leads our children's ministry. From 3.30 to 5.30, there are about 60 kids from 3rd grade through 6th grade that are just tearing this place up, and it's wonderful. At 6 o'clock... Youth ministry takes over. Matt Warner leads that, and if everybody showed up, Matt could easily have 75 kids here tearing this place up, but he averages around 50 or 60. It's great. We get to put it back together every week. Yes, give God a round of applause. And on and on and on this list can go. The soul of the church is doing well. 
Tonight, Larry Lampton's going to talk about another area that allows us to measure the soul of the church, and that's the giving. And, and I'm not going to tell you anything about that because we want you to come back tonight and hear about that. It's not going to be one of those meetings where you think to yourself, oh man, we're just going to get beat up. You're going to hear the vision of the elders, and you're going to hear what the finance team has to say. You're going to get to celebrate together what God has done. And Larry's going to share with you what we expect God to continue doing, and we know he will. We have great expectations of him, and we're convinced that he is going to do great stuff as he already has in the life of this church. So we want you to be here tonight to hear that. But as much as we can say it is all about truth and love and the expression of the truth through love, and our soul is doing well, we also know this. It is all about Jesus. And if it isn't all about Jesus, it does not matter. Not one little bit. And there's not much that I can tell you about that that Ray Brossman can't sum up a whole lot better than I can. Would you listen to what he has to say as he tells us how much it is all about Jesus? I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather be His than have riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than houses or lands. I'd rather be led by his nail-pierced hands than to be the king of a vast domain or be held in sin's dread sway. I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today. I want you to stand right now. Can you say that you would rather have Jesus more than anything in your life? If you think of all the things that you have, your houses, your land, uh, the silver and the gold, so many of us have lost, a lot of you have lost a lot of that in the last few years that you've banked on and you've counted on, but it's gone. But you know, if we have Jesus, none of that is going to go away. We bank on that because we bank on heaven. We bank on Jesus. And uh, that's a great investment, isn't it? If you haven't got that opportunity this morning, we encourage you to do that. We encourage you to come over here to the door. Somebody be there to talk to you about how to do that. If you want to become part of this church and become a servant and maybe be part of the programs that uh, Phil has talked about, the ministries that Phil has talked about, or others, there are so many others that he didn't even have time to mention. We'd be here all day. So many people do so many things because they have the servant heart, they have a servant attitude, they have Jesus, they have the truth, and they have the love. And that's what I want you to be part of. Is this thing the first and second verse of this song? I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather be His than have riches. 